thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Abnormal Psychologist, the show that shares everyday insights into getting the best out of your mind, body, and lifestyle. Now, please welcome your host, The Abnormal Psychologist herself, Carrie Thompson-Casey. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist with me, your host, Carrie Thompson-Casey, the show where we are giving you the how-to to get the best out of you. And today we are talking to the lovely Wendy Ellsmore, who is a senior psychologist who works in private practice in Sydney. And today we wanted to share a little bit of information with you about how psychologists work and how we all work a little bit differently. So hello, Wendy. Hello, Carrie. Great to be with you. That's great. So what Wendy and I thought we might share with some of our listeners is to have a bit of an understanding of what it is that happens in the therapeutic process and what is the difference between counsellors and psychologists and other health professionals in the mental health arena. So um, there are some great counsellors out there that do some great work, but we just wanted to talk about the difference between um, counsellors uh, and psychologists because the difference is that psychologists often work from what we call a scientist practitioner model, which Wendy and I will talk about through this call. Um, so, Wendy, first of all, tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, I um, I came to be a psychologist in 1983, so I'm really quite a senior psychologist now, and I've spent my time working um, in the school or in private practice. Um, in private practice, I've developed uh, an expertise or an interest, I suppose, in particularly working with people who've been through traumas. And I've worked in hospital programs on wards with um, people who had post-traumatic stress disorder. And that really interested me. And I found there were many ways that people uh, with trauma were able to heal and set me off on, I guess, a lifelong um, adventure or a career in finding out more and more about different ways to heal because everybody has a different way to heal not not one size fits all in terms of psychological treatment yes that's great it's, it is so different for everybody that we see um so i was wondering if you could tell us your um how you see the difference between counselors and psychologists and other mental health professionals well one of the questions we're often asked is um how is a psychologist different to a counsellor and how is a psychologist different to a psychiatrist? Yes. Well, um, so I'll just concentrate on psychologists and counsellors. Basically, um, psychologists are counsellors. Um, Counselling is like the foundation stone of psychological treatment. But psychology or psychologists offer more than counselling um, and they often um, offer a specific course of treatment that requires us to be very experienced in those strategies and skills and apply them to an individual as they need them. So with counselling, the foundation uh, skills are really things like listening, including passive listening and active listening or reflective listening, and problem solving because neither counsellors nor psychologists actually give advice or solve a problem what we do is we help that person um, solve their own problems with our support and guidance. So basic difference is we go we go a step further than counselling. 
For example, if I can talk about someone who might present with an anxiety disorder, say they have um, developed agoraphobia where they can't go outside their um, own house or they have an OCD problem like checking or hand washing or um, other sorts of anxiety problems. We need more than just to listen to them. We actually need to com um, compose with them uh, a program of intervention that will help them heal. So often that means we will use things like cognitive behavioural therapy, sometimes known as CBT, and we have to do what we call systematic desensitisation by exposing them to the very things that make them fearful. And step by step, sometimes with a buddy and then on their own, we sort of like create a ladder and they go up and each step more and more confidently to their at their goals, where they want to be in life. And so um, that's important that all along the way, we're still using counselling skills, but we're also informed by research and by a particular school of uh, psychological therapy, how to do this healing. So we take them from the beginning right to the to the end. Yes, and I think that's um, probably a significant part of the first session, which can sometimes be tricky for people in that they're quite keen to talk to someone or they really want to um, have some relief from their psychological pain. But often um, in that first hour session or so, it's a very um, detailed assessment process that allows um, the psychologist to formulate what's going on for the person in front of them. So um, once we have that formulation and then, it, then it's often reflecting on those scientific principles about what we understand as psychologists about human behavior and human thought processes and, and, and overlay that or use that to then inform how we then communicate with that person. So I think before when you said reflective listening, for example, um, that takes a little while to develop that skill. So not only is it hearing what the person says, it's then mapping that over our scientist practitioner model of working where we can understand those those theories of human behavior and and then of course um, the theory around personality and the theory around um, uh, the therapeutic approaches. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about a couple of the therapeutic approaches that you feel that you're quite familiar with. All right. Um, well, I've worked a lot with people who've been through trauma. Um, I've worked with war veterans, police officers, um, people who've gone through child uh, sexual assault and abuse, and people through natural disasters. So there's lots of different treatments that are available um, and one of them is called EMDR, which means um, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, which um, helps people go back over the trauma that has been so that they keep on reliving but never resolve. And by using um, a sort of uh, eye movement, um, come to actually expose themselves to that memory and put it in its place so it no longer bothers them and they feel out of control. But some people don't like that because it's a very confronting um, model and can be um, uh, it, it requires such a big emotional response that people don't like that. Another way to heal then that I found was when I studied hypnosis was that people can actually write out their uh, what's happened to them in various incidents and then learn the technique of hypnosis and then under hypnosis, which is always self-hypnosis, 
the therapist can then read them the story of the traumas that upset them. But the person is such is in such a relaxed state of mind and body that it's starting to uh, pair the trauma with a relaxed state of mind and body rather than always getting them into um, emotional sort of um, uh, out of control sort of feelings where they're panicky or where they're angry or out of control with crying. So by deliberately pairing it with a very relaxed response, the, the person becomes to realise that it's a memory and like other memories that can be coded and faded into the background of their mind instead of increasingly troubling them. Another technique that's been used widely in America with war veterans is called EFT, stands for Emotional Freedom Technique, and it requires a series of tapping different parts of the head and the arms and the chest and saying different things that, that the client and the therapist compose together. And it seems such a, you know, you think of tapping or using the body, but we're finding more and more in psychology now that we would have to look at more somatic treatments of um, psychological trauma because people manifested it in the body. So sometimes we use a lot of beginning to investigate more somatic psychotherapies as well. But there's all different ones. Sometimes there's uh, other therapies, including existential therapies or humanist psychology, because some people have to find out what is the meaning of, of what happened to them and what does it say about human beings and how can I live with it knowing that this was done to another human being and this was done to me? How do I live with hope and wanting to be connected to people? So I found there's many ways to heal. That's yeah. just a few of them. That's right. And I think um, there is a diverse, that's where some of the confusion I think comes from for um, the everyday person in understanding what psychologists do. And that often people believe that they might even have to lie on a couch or do certain things. But, yes. but, but, but <laughs> Lots of people come in with that expectation. Yes, yes, or that they're going to have to talk about their childhood. But psychologists work very differently. So, for example, the techniques that you just mentioned aren't, or well, in my last 10 years of practice, none of those have appeared in my practice. And although I would have to say I work, work quite strongly from a cognitive behavioural therapy area um, a lot of the listeners would know that I also, also like to work holistically so when you talked about yeah. somatic treatments you're referring to the body and yeah. I, I talk extensively with my clients around um, their movement and their hydration and um, being intuitive about how they eat and how they feel after certain foods um, and understanding the impact of having insulin spikes on mood yeah. And, and incorporate those types of experiences alongside quite a strong cognitive behavioural. And I, and I know that I've worked in different trauma areas as well and there's a lot of um, emerging information coming about narrative therapy and yeah. narrative therapy is also, you know, something else people can have a look at. And I think the easiest way to explain that without being an expert in it is, is about reauthoring your story. And, and yeah. um, the interesting thing I found um, is that there is actually quite a lot of similarity across the therapy types um, yes. in that there is that search for meaning. Um, and then once that meaning is known, or even if you don't arrive at the meaning of what happened, it's how do we work together to make your everyday life um, a little more freer from the psychological pain that they're experiencing when they first present. So I think that it's not that 
every psychologist definitely does not work the same. We actually move through our degrees um, and we're influenced by supervisors and other research that we become interested in and then we might operate from that. So as I said, I'm mostly CBT but quite holistic in terms of looking at the diet and movement um, whereas you perhaps focus on some of the techniques that you just mentioned whereas the next therapist um, that I talk to might be quite um, involved in narrative techniques. So it is also, I think, from a client perspective, is that it is about shopping around and not only finding a therapist that appeals to you in, in their personality and, and, and how you relate to them, but also the therapy type. Um, it's a bit like um, getting on a, on a BMX bike, I suppose, or a, or a different push bike. It's it, how does that journey feel um, as they go about their day? And I really encourage people to, to feel empowered to make their own choice too when they go and see a different I think that's really important that people feel in control of the therapy. Yes. So they're coming because somehow they're out of control in their life in some respect. So it's really important that they're in control and it's a, um, it's a, we walk along with the client. We don't push them from behind and we don't pull them up you know, behind us. That we walk with them and I think what you're saying is true all these psychological therapies all work with you know the three basic things is what we think uh, what we feel and what we do or how we behave and so they're all variations on that triangle yes and and the influence that each of those three areas have on us for example from a CBT perspective understanding how um, how we think then influences how we feel and what we do. Yeah. So if we yeah. feel or if we think that we're uh, not enough or not lovable or we have these ideas about ourselves, and it might influence what choices we do and how we spend our time. Um, and similar to narrative therapy, if we have this yeah. idea or, or identity that we subscribe to, um, some of the therapeutic work might be about changing that story we have of ourselves or having a, a, a bad events. That's right. Yeah, I really like um, narrative therapy and learned a lot from that. Um, and that was started, I guess, with Michael White in South Australia and continues on today. It's a great therapy. Yes, and I think it, there's actually a, a little bit of research happening um, around the place around narrative therapy with Indigenous clients as well in how that, from a cultural perspective, that that reauthoring fits quite well with um, some of those, yes. the storytelling that... I could, um, see, oh, I could see that it would... Yes, be helpful. Mm. So, Wendy, um, can you tell us a little bit more um, about some of the common questions you might get asked in therapy or um, overarching themes you might see? You said that a lot of people are coming because they, they're feeling a little bit out of control. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Um, a lot of people uh, come because they are feeling out of control and, you know, for example, um, they may be getting a lot of panic um, attacks maybe suffering from panic disorder, and so um, they're frightened to uh, to go in pu into public or to speak in front of people or to make journeys such as fear of flying because they feel that they're going to lose control and have a panic attack. Many of them have had that feeling already where they've been out of control and they've had that terrible feeling of a panic attack and didn't realise what it was. They thought they were having a heart attack or thought they were losing their mind or they were going to die or they're going to faint or be sick or things like that. So um, that often drives people then to learn about what what is happening in the mind and body that this is occurring, to give them a name for it, to give them a lot of what we call psychoeducation so they understand. And knowledge is empowering. Once they understand, 
and they know then that they can begin to control it and we teach them techniques that are both mental techniques, cognitive part of therapy and behavioural techniques um, and including relaxation, almost starting, you know, invariably with working on breathing and getting our breath our breath rate under control and things like that. So, yeah. That, yeah, that's actually one of the, the, or the very first episode of The Abnormal Psychologist was that about re- reflecting on that self-knowledge and um, and how empowering that can be to understand what your triggers are um, and to know yourself enough that yeah. when, when those particularly those particular bodily sensations occur, like you talked about the somatic treatments before, that yeah. understanding when you get that sensation in your tummy or your heart rate starts to feel like it's going too fast, what strategies can you use to get back in control of that physical arousal? And But the work that we also do around the psychoeducation is, is understanding that de-arousal process but also understanding the broader what's triggering this and and back to what you said before around yeah. those desensitization techniques. Is it an environmental yeah. trigger, something outside of ourselves that's triggering that, perhaps a sensory experience, whether it's a place or a smell, um, but also sometimes those that panic can occur from a thought, um, that yeah. the trigger can sometimes be internal, that having a, a thought about themselves can trigger off that cascade of physical sensations that lead to that feeling of panic and feeling out of control physically and psychologically. Yes, and a lot of people feel um, if they can control everything in their lives, everything on the outside of their lives, if they can be strict control of that, and particularly evident with people with OCD, then it controls the inner anxiety and angst that we all have. If we can control our environment to such an extent that that doesn't make us anxious, then we've controlled the inner anxiety and angst. And they begin to realise in the therapy that actually life is, unpredictable and not too controllable. All we can really control is the inner inner anxiety and angst and how we react and we can build an inner strength um, because life um, is pretty unpredictable and bad things can happen um, even to us. You know, like bad things happen all the time and uh, we have to learn to control our responses. That's where we get the inner strength to face anything in life. So what I've been struck by many people is the incredible uh, resilience that they tap into and the inner strength that comes out and informs everything they do in terms of how they think about themselves and life, what they're doing and what they're achieving and how they're feeling. And I I think that's true as well. I think that's um, something that often people are unsure of is that when we explain and manage expectations in that first assessment session, often there will be a discussion around, you know, I can't do this for you. This is something that you're going to have to practice outside of sessions, this new skill or this new way of thinking or this new way of behaving. Um, And people are often surprised by that. They I think even though it sounds logical when we talk about it now, I think sometimes people do believe that just coming to see a psychologist is somehow a magical experience. And as much as I would like Mm -hmm. to see myself as magical, um, that's not the case. As you said, it's really about um, identifying the resilience that has already existed in that person and helping to pick those skills back up and, and strengthen them like strengthening a muscle and helping them to be able to navigate their troubles and, and build a, a, an inner strength hopefully that is sustainable and, and lasting that they are able to face adversity with much much more strength. So, yeah. so I agree with that. It's more than talking. 
Absolutely. Once you are, it's got to be other things. I think you're mentioning like a muscle. It's like visiting a physiotherapist. You don't just have a consultation. They actually make you do some pretty hard work. And um, so it often is with psychologists. And um, we have to support them doing that hard work. We know that's the way that they will heal. So sometimes people, we call them, you know, are they customers for change? Or are they just window shoppers, you know, because if you're a customer to the change in your life, unfortunately, you've got to do some hard work. Yes, no, that's a really interesting analogy. I hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> but yes, I, and I do find that sometimes, probably around session three or four, if people are coming back and saying, no, I haven't done my homework that you said, I start to come back to revisit their expectations and 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 how were they planning on getting to that result that they wanted um, to try and you know get them back on track with them stepping through the paces and doing the work and sometimes people just aren't ready and and sometimes I I might not be the therapist for them Um, and um, people who know me know that I'm not actually known for being warm and fuzzy that that I do like to set homework because I think it's it's actually you know doing those behaviors and thinking in certain ways is the only way to start to bring those habits back in um that were already there before or creating yeah. new habits and new ways of behaving in response to certain challenges yeah. so what would you say you've learned about other people through your experiences of being a psychologist um, what i've learned um again how to say is the resilience of people i've yes. met very ordinary people who seem like an ordinary person and when I've heard their story and helped work with them I've just been amazed at how extraordinary um, each person can be and um, I'm always um, humbled and um, I feel very privileged to have walked along a path with them towards healing. I absolutely agree and I think I, I think I learned that very early in my career to um not underestimate the impact certain things have on people but also to never underestimate just the amazing inner strength people have even if they can't see it at all when they first come in you know it's it's just really a great privilege to be able to hear their story and see them evolve through that process Um, and and often if people you know, thank me at the end of a therapeutic process, I have to remind them, you know, hey, I didn't do the work. You know, I wasn't the one out there, you know, developing the new ways of thinking or developing the new ways of responding to certain triggers. You know, they're the clients are the ones that have to thank themselves for having the courage to do all that hard work. I only saw them for maybe one hour a fortnight and and it, it wasn't yeah. me, it was the work that they did. And again, feel, as you said, feeling very grateful and privileged to be able to witness that that, um, that resilience emerge again and, and for people to feel some contentment and peace as they as they go about their day. That's really great. And they, and they have that generosity of spirit. Um, yes. And so they thank us when they've done all the hard work because they have that generosity in their own heart. And um, and that's how you know someone is healed. And there's no more bitterness, resentment, um, hurt. Um, there may be, you know, a sense of poignancy and sadness, but there's generally an incredible generosity of spirit and compassion for themselves and everyone they meet in their lives. They have that energy back to be compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So what about you, Wendy? What have you learned about yourself through being a psychologist? Well, uh, that I never will get to nirvana. I never <laughs> get to a state of um, 
growth where I feel like I'm not challenged anymore and I've made it. I'm always learning, always making mistakes, always, you know, picking myself up. And um, I take a lot of uh, uh, courage in, uh, from the people I, I work with. Actually, I feel we're all in the same psychic soup together. And in a way, they help me uh, as much um, as I help them. So um, I'm yeah. just always learning. No, and I agree. And that's why the show is actually called The Abnormal Psychologist <laughs> because yeah. before I'm a clinical psychologist, I'm, I'm just a wife, a mother, a woman. You know, I, I'm certainly far from perfection and make mistakes uh, all the time. And But as you said, it, it's finding the courage to pick ourselves back up and and. Um, be nicer to ourselves and move forward knowing that okay that didn't work that time what's next and what will I try yeah so yeah. what about um, uh, rituals or habits that you think work for you what could you give us maybe three um, weekly or daily things that you do to keep yourself balanced yes um, walking yes yoga and talking to friends great because I think that's, you know, again, as we are talking before, part of that connection in the mind and body, um, although a lot of psychologists can be quite focused on the cognitive experience people have, that I think, mm -hmm. again, there's much, much more research, particularly coming from mindfulness and meditation, about understanding how your body works and the in impact that can have on the way your brain even functions. So, yeah, and I think some of those bodily uh, body work that we yes. can do is 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 very very important to to keep our bodies strong, um, and and also I think things like yoga that, that teach us to slow down is that when we need to draw on that relaxation that that again that muscle is very strong that it's very yes. rather than trying to draw on some calming down strategies when we haven't done the preparation and often it doesn't work for us so I agree I think that learning how to slow our bodies down is is incredibly important. So, Wendy, if someone's interested in coming to see you, I know that you practice in outer Sydney. How can someone find you if they want to, to talk to you? Well, um, I'm developing a, a website and it's just called Wellsmore. It's, my name is Wendy. My surname is Ellsmore. So it's W-E-L-L-S-M-O-R-E dot -E com. Great. They can contact me there. That is wonderful. It's been so great to talk to you and I'm just so, so pleased to, to share you uh, with the, the wider public. Um, as I said, psychologists have to participate in at least 10 hours supervision um, every year as part of their professional development, which I think is really important and also important for consumers of our services or our clients to know that, that someone's checking on us too to make sure yeah. that we're, um, you know, uh, following ethical guidelines and other information. And if anyone wanted any more information about psychologists and the supervision process, they can also go to the um, psychology, Australian Psychological Society, which is um, 3wpsychology.org.au if they want to learn more about psychologists and the different areas of psychology, psychological practice and the guidelines that we work within. So thank you so much for joining me today, Wendy. I've been really great to catch up with you again and Thank I'm, you. I'm sure the people listening would have found something in today's interview to give you a bit of insight into the way that psychologists work and how that we're all very different in in the practice that we work from but we are all essentially working from that scientist practitioner model using evidence-based treatments to yeah. to work with our clients so 
Don't forget to support the show by telling your friends or you can go to our Facebook page, Carrie Thompson Casey, that's Thompson without a P, and you can like us there or you can give us your feedback. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes and don't forget to give us a five-star rating if you like the show. You can call us, um, you can support us also by going to the website at CarrieThompsonCasey.com. Thank you for joining me and see you on the next episode of The Abnormal Psychologist where we share real people's stories and give you real ideas so that you can realize your potential. Take care. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.